Well, hello, 11 o'clock. It's good. You guys are always better than the 9 a.m. You're better than the 9. Still got some work to do. My name is Rafe Chenery. I'm the pastor here at Park South Loop, and I am eager, eager with a capital E to kick off 2020 with you guys. Uh, God has been doing some good work. And today we get to talk about our church, about what God's been doing, about what we believe God is calling us to. Uh, today's a bit of a unique Sunday. As we kick off this new year, uh, Kenson Lamb and I will be sharing this sermon. So uh, if you've been around Park for a while here at Park South Loop, you know that Kenson and I normally rotate weeks preaching. I'll preach one week, and when I preach, I'll usually preach here at the 9 a.m., then over at his church at the 10, and then back here at the 11, and then he'll do the following week. Well, today we're going to be uh, splitting today's message because it's about our vision of the church. And Kenson and I, as two pastors, just long to have a unified vision and call us together into that unified mission. So, we will be in Hebrews chapter 10. If you got your Bible, go ahead and open up Hebrews chapter 10, second half of your New Testament. In the House Bibles, you're going to be on page 1006. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 23. At Park, we have this bold biblical vision statement. And uh, we say it every single week. It'll be up here behind me every, uh, as I preach today. It says, we exist to be a biblical community. Oftentimes, you'll hear us at Park South Loop and at Park Bridgeport say, we exist to be a diverse biblical community because diversity is so important to what we believe God's calling us to here in the South Loop and across the city. But our vision statement reads, we exist to be a biblical community where the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms lives, renews the city, and impacts the world. Now, what's a vision statement? A vision statement for an organization is really important. It guides what you do. It, it helps you determine what you're going to be a part of, what you're not going to be a part of, how you go about making decisions as an organization. Uh, but as a church, a vision statement can't just be the organization's vision that the leaders adhere to off on a piece of paper somewhere. If that's all it is, then the church has totally lost their way. What a church is, is it's a body of believers that are united together, filled by the Holy Spirit, in relationship with each other, and then living out what they believe God has called them to. It can't just be on paper. It's got to actually be followers of Christ embodying the vision, not just here on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week as they live their lives in their jobs, in the city, in the schools, wherever you find yourself a vision statement must be embodied by the body of believers. Otherwise, it's just a piece of paper. As we start this new year, my prayer for us is that 2020 would be a very powerful year in our life. Uh, if you've been around South Loop for a while, I, I, I can say with all confidence, God has been doing extraordinary work. And those of you that have been around, been part of this thing, you've watched the Holy Spirit showing off. He's done some work that has been, quite frankly, startling to be a part of, and it's been life-transforming for me. And one of my prayers and one of Kenson's prayers as we move forward into this new year and we think, what is God calling us to? My prayer pastorally for us as a church is that we would grow in boldness and courage as followers of Christ. It almost goes without saying that we live in a pretty crazy world, don't we? I mean, the, the world doesn't necessarily have their act together. Let's just put it that way. There's a lot of chaos in the world we live in. And yet in the midst of that, God has planted his church, his bride. He's mobilized it by the Spirit. And what the world needs, what Chicago needs, is bold, courageous, full of conviction Christians that say, this is what Jesus looks like. It doesn't work outside of Jesus. Try Jesus. He works pretty good. 
And I'm hoping 2020 is a year for you of growing in your courage and your conviction. And I believe some of the greatest growth you're going to have this year spiritually is when you dig in to this community. When it becomes family, when you, when you find yourself in a situation where you are dependent on the people sitting around you in this room, church takes off. That's where the Holy Spirit just starts wrecking you, and that's a good place to be because it means God got a hold of your life. So today, Kent and I are going to walk through this vision statement. My job is to take us through the very first portion that says we exist to be a biblical community focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll notice in the vision statement, the gospel is what fuels all the mission and the work we do. But I'm going to get us through that first portion, being a biblical community where the gospel of Jesus Christ is at the center. Now to do that, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. So let me read it to us. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Where am I? Here we go. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, notice the capital D, the day that we all long for, approaching. All right, what I want to do with this text in my few minutes is pull out two guardrails for us. Think of a guardrail. They protect you. They make sure you're going down the lane the right way, right? For those of you who can't bowl like me, they're really helpful to have up on either side of the alley, right? The guardrails protect us, and they help us to know if we're pulling this thing off properly. Are we really a biblical community centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ? Guardrail number one, right from the text. A biblical community must have an unwavering confession of faith. An unwavering confession of faith. If you don't have an unwavering confession of faith and you're part of a community, you might be part of a community. You might have a lot of friends, but it isn't a biblical community, and it isn't centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The text begins, let us hold fast to the confession of our faith without wavering. What does it mean to hold fast? Notice it doesn't say, let us believe. That is true. We must believe the confession of our faith, and there's plenty of passages that teach us that we need to believe the confession of our faith. But Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold fast. That word means to cling to, to, to guard and to protect, to, to hold on to for dear life. That's how we treat the confession of the Christian faith. In my mind, I see this picture of a ship that's being tossed to and fro by a, by, a, by a storm at sea, and the waves are coming over, and you can just imagine the mariner on the boat just kind of trying to find his footing, and it's getting wet. And if he holds on and clings and holds fast to the guardrail on the ship, he'll, he'll get through the storm. He'll find himself in a safe place once the storm's over. But if he tries to just go about this without clinging fast to anything, he'll get knocked off the ship and he'll be dead. We must hold fast to the confession of our faith. And then it says without wavering. Isn't that interesting? That means without doubting, without hesitating. It means not being double-minded, as James says. It means not having one foot in the door of faith, one foot in the world, and thinking this is what Jesus called you to, right? I come to church on Sunday, my party on Saturday, and I keep going forward. No, it says unwaveringly. And, and what it means to be unwavering is not that you never have doubts creep in. I want to protect us from feeling like if you have doubts in this room that somehow that's ungodly or sinful. We're, we're, we're Christians. We're working this thing out. 
there's a lot of questions we all have. There's a lot of questions I have. And we go through seasons where there's doubts and seasons where it's difficult. But we, we progress and we grow. Many of us can relate to that guy in Mark chapter 9 when Jesus goes to heal his son. He says, if you have faith, I can do anything. And the man says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Many of us experience that throughout the journey of our faith across our whole life. But the Christian life should be this journey of progress where you go through these seasons, but through each season, God keeps showing His faithfulness. The Holy Spirit keeps transforming and molding, and, and the old doubts begin to fall away, and, and new pressures come in, but then you work through those, and, and God sears your faith into your heart. There ought to be an upward trajectory in your Christian faith of moving past the old and into new territory constantly. We hold these faiths unwaveringly, these truths unwaveringly. And it's a confession. This is so important. Confessions are not something you just say in private. Christians are not just Christians in the prayer closet. That is one place we're Christians. But we live bold, courageous, conviction-filled lives in the midst of a watching world. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, Paul uses the same word, but listen to how he says it. He says, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. See, when you confess something, you're proclaiming it to the world. You say, this is where I stand, world. See this. I stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what the confession is. If we're going to be a biblical community centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, we must have the exclusive convictional claims of that gospel, and we must believe them to be true. What are those claims? Well, the claims, that confession is both a diagnosis and it's the medicine. That's what the gospel is. It diagnoses the human heart, and then it provides you the medicine for the problems of the human heart. The diagnosis of this is pretty bad news. Are you ready for it? The human heart is deceitful above all things. Every single person born since Adam has inherited a, a flawed, rebellious nature to God. No matter how good you think you are, no matter how much done you, good you've done, you have inherited a flawed, rebellious to God nature. Jesus says your father is Satan. <laughs> That's how bold this falling away from God has been. That no matter how good of a life we've lived, if you're outside of Christ, then you are outside of the family of God because you've rebelled against God to such a degree that you've been cut off from Him. And that's the problem with the world. The problem with the world is not some foreign regime. It's not some person over there, some villain over in a corner. It's us. We bring sin. And all sin means is brokenness. It's rebellion to God. And when we all bring sin into a, a fallen society, the problems just cataclyze into what we're witnessing in our world. And then in the midst of that, God sent His Son. Here's the good news. The diagnosis is that we need a Savior. That was Mary's prayer over Christmas. Remember that? The good news is God sent His Son, the second person of the Trinity. And Jesus is not just a good teacher in the lines with a guy like Buddha or Confucius. Jesus, the claim is that He was the second person of the Trinity. The second person of the Trinity. God in the flesh stepping into yours and my story. God entered in. He lived among us. He tabernacled among us. And He lived a life that we can never live. He alone perfectly satisfied the law of God. Where everyone else failed, Jesus succeeded. And His death on the cross was not just a martyr's death for a faith system. His death on the cross is called in the Bible a sacrificial slaying of a lamb. 
a perfect spotless lamb where his blood was shed on the altar, on that cross. The just penalty for yours and my sin. And if you will believe If you proclaim and confess that Jesus paid your sin, God says he gives you new life now and in eternity. That's the confession of the Christian faith. It's an exclusive claim that Jesus is not just one way among many. He is the only way to life. He is the only way that God has made for us to have life, to have relationship with God. Outside of Jesus, there's no such thing as true religion. This is the confession of our faith. At Park, we live this out in a lot of ways. Every single week from this pulpit, you will hear the gospel preached. Whether it's me preaching or Kenson, we preach the gospel. And and I want to tell you, if ever you visit a church, maybe you're in here today church shopping, and you're checking this out, you're going to check another church out. If that's you, if you visit a church and they don't proclaim what I just said, get out. (laughs) Because it's not a healthy church. They might be saying something that sounds good, but if it's not the gospel, then it ain't good for you. We need to confess that truth every single week. We need to be reminded of it. We teach that through our songs that we sing. When we sing, we're proclaiming truth to ourselves and and reaching into our heart. We teach this every week through our small group studies as we dig into the Word of God. Our church is built around this confession. That church is not just the organization that must be built around it. It's the church, the body. Are you built around that confession? Is your life embodying that you hold that to be true? That's our confession. Guardrail number two, and I'll share this briefly, is that we are participants in sanctifying relationships. Now, what is a sanctifying relationship? Sanctifying means to become more like Jesus. It's the journey that begins. The moment you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's called justification. You're made right with God. It can never be taken away from you. And then the life of a follower of Christ with all its ups and downs is called sanctification. It's becoming more like Jesus until we reach glorification. All right, ready? We'll do it again. Ready? Justification, sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, and then you die and you go to heaven and you will experience glorification. No more sanctifying to be taken place. You'll be glorified with Jesus. In this life, we ought to be sanctifying each other. Listen to how Hebrews says it. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know what that says? That says that when you come into this place in this family, you each bear spiritual responsibility for each other. See, no one can treat church like a theater. You you can't come in and get a sermon, get your music fill, and then leave and and not be part of the relationships. That's not what church is. That's not it. That's something, but it's not church. That's theater. What the church is, is that we're, we're stirring one another up to love and good works. And you bear a responsibility for the person in front of you and behind you. You ought to be in such deep community with the people that you're in small group with and the people that you worship with on a Sunday that you're stirring each other up to love and good works. I got a text message this morning. First thing in the morning, I woke up, I got a text message. Me and two other guys are just three of our best, two of my best friends. And he texted me, he said, man, I need you to pray for me. My, my, I got news today that my daughter's way sicker than we thought she was. Little girl. Just spent New Year's with them. And I, I texted him right back. I said, I'm praying for you right now. I'm going to call you as soon as church is over today. He goes up to our Lincoln Park location. 
And that's what a sanctifying relationship is. It's, it's, it's when you're in such deep relationship that when you need a prayer, this is the people you turn to. And then we pray together, and the Holy Spirit does something through it. We had a long for this. And it says, don't, for, don't forsake to meet together regularly. You know what that means? <laughs> it means come to church on Sunday. That's what it means. You know, I never, I never fully understand when Christians don't look forward to coming to church on Sunday. All week long, right? All week long. Here's Christians. All week long, we're living in the midst of a world that doesn't love and worship the same God as us. They may worship a God, but they don't worship the Trinitarian God that's been revealed through Scripture, so it's a different God. They, they don't live with the same conviction. They don't, they don't lead their family the same way. They, they don't honor this text and, and try to adhere to everything Jesus has taught us. And so we live as foreigners in a strange land. That's the Christian journey. But then once a week, once a week, we come together and, and, and we, 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 we fellowship, and, and we sing, and we tell story, and we encourage one another, and it, it's coming home. It's coming back to the family so that we can get sent back out again to this difficult life that we live, this journey. You know, when you think of your weekly schedule, and you know, every, I, I keep a weekly calendar, and I, every Sunday night I go and I, I, I project my week and what it's going to look like, and I fill in my slots, what, what's happening throughout the week. The first thing we ought to do when we do that is you should put a big highlight with your highlighter, a bold mark around Sunday morning. Whatever happens, I can't miss that. I don't want to be late. I want to be here because this is the family. This is where we stir one another up. We got to meet together. These two guardrails, our confession and these sanctifying relationships, are what make us a biblical community centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one more time, I'm going to put it on you. You start a new year. Is that true of you? It's true of your church. This is what we desire. This is what many are experiencing. Is it what you're experiencing? Are you a part of this? Let me invite Kenson to come on up. Thanks, Rafe. Happy New Year. I guess I'll take that too. All right. Uh, once again, with what Rafe just said, love the idea that we have a chance today to actually communicate uh, our vision statement together. That as a church, we do function in many ways independently, but we also share a lot of things together. And our vision statement is one of those things that we share. So as Rafe has reminded us of who we are as a church and the gospel confession that we hold fast to and stand on, I want to spend our time answering the second part. What has God then called us to do. You know, when you look at, look at the end of verse 25, it says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, the day here is when Jesus returns, and when the author says this, it's meant to give the church a sense of urgency because this day that's drawing near is a day of judgment. It's a day when Jesus will come and ask us if we've been faithful with this gospel. And for some of us, this will be a day of fear because we've been living selfishly and neglectfully towards the gospel. But for others, and this is our prayer for all of us in this room and all our locations, is that his return will be a day of great joy and celebration, that he will find us faithful and obedient. In addition, when it says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, it's meant to tell you that time is running out. And are you keeping the main thing, the main thing? And we know one of those main things is being on mission. Did you know that the one thing that we can't do in heaven, that we can do right now, is to share the gospel with the lost? 
that every day until he returns is another day that we can make Jesus known, and it's another day for those outside of these walls to have an opportunity to respond to the gospel and step into a saving relationship with Jesus. So yes, as a church, we must stir one another towards loving good deeds for one another. Yes, we must do that. We must have these sanctifying relationships, but we also must do this for those outside of our walls. We must spur each other, stir each other towards gospel mission because the very gospel that brings us in, as Rafe talked about, is also the same gospel that sends us out to others. Just look at the words of Jesus. Matthew 28, go and make disciples. John 20, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Matthew 22, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We are to go, we are sent, we are to love others, and we don't have time to waste. Now, what does this mean for us as a church? Gospel mission for us as a church comes in three ways. First, our vision is to see the gospel of Jesus Christ transform lives. As a church, we believe that the gospel has power. Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, look carefully here. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say we are effective. It doesn't say that programs and events are effective. It doesn't say the coolest, you know, marketing trends are effective. No, the gospel has the power to save. It has the power to transform anyone who believes. And what that means is that every story in this room and outside of this room has hope because the gospel has the power to heal to forgive, to undo the works of the devil, to bring freedom in life, to break the cycle of generational sins. The gospel is powerful and can transform anyone who believes. In the same way as a church, we are committed to each and every story because we know that wherever the gospel goes, there is always going to be hope. You know, this is why as a church, we often challenge you to be praying and thinking about your one. Now, this is park language about that one person in your life who doesn't know Jesus and to share the gospel with them. And this person is never, ever a project, but a person to love because God loves them. And I know that for many of us, sharing your faith, it's scary. Well, what if they reject me? What if they think I'm stupid? You know, what if I don't know how to answer their questions? I get it. I'm scared, too. But we should do it anyway because as Christ followers, we believe that God can transform lives with the gospel. As a church, we've had the privilege to, of, seeing so, of seeing this happen so many times that just this past year as a church across all our different locations, we saw almost 100 people get baptized. 100 people. That's amazing. That's a hundred people saying publicly, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. A hundred people saying, I was once lost, but now I'm found. It's a hundred people saying that I no longer live for myself, but I live for Christ. That is amazing. In addition, as a church, we have well over 1,000 people in small groups. 
That small groups are communities of people who meet together on a weekly basis to study the word, build friendships, and be on mission together. That it's in small groups people are being transformed. And we hear stories all the time of how God is working. That marriages are being redeemed, sin is being repented of, comfort for those who are hurting, people taking greater steps of faith. And as a church, this is the stuff that we celebrate, the transformation of lives. And we are blessed to be a part of these stories. Once again, not because Park Community Church is doing something out of the ordinary or we're being super innovative in ministry. The power is not in us. The power comes when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as a church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Here's the second application to our vision. Our vision is to see the gospel renew the city. Now, churches have many postures in how they can engage the city. One very popular posture is to ignore the city and its issues. You know what? Not my problem, not my issue, and the church becomes a holy huddle where we stay safe, where we study the Bible here, but we care nothing else about those outside our walls. That's one posture. Another posture churches can have is to condemn the city and to see it as hopeless. That if you spend too much time in the city, it will morally corrupt you. Now, I don't know how many of you have come from a small town or from a rural area, and Chicago is the first major city that you've moved into. You know, I don't know how many of you guys, when, once you moved into Chicago, how often your parents called you and said, hey, when are you moving back? Hey, how much longer are you gonna stay in Chicago? You know, you know, I saw something on the news, are you in trouble? You know, is everything okay? Don't stay there too long, you might lose your faith, right? That's how some people see the city. Or another posture a church can have is that churches can just assimilate. That instead of being just in the world, they now become of the world. That the church loses all distinction and has no prophetic word to give to anybody. These are not gospel responses to the city. You know, in the book of Jonah, God sends the prophet Jonah to preach the gospel to the great city of Nineveh. And Jonah hated this city so much for its evil that he ran from God. But God was committed to reaching the city, and he tells Jonah his reason why he needs to do this. Jonah 4.11 says this, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, great in regards to size and volume, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Notice here. That when God sees the city, he sees the spiritual lostness of the people in the city. That's what he first sees. And he doesn't run from them, he runs after them. That he doesn't condemn the city or avoid the city, he extends compassion on the city. Nor does he call Jonah to assimilate or to ignore his sin, but he tells Jonah to preach the message of repentance. If God cares this much for the city, shouldn't we? This is why we are committed to renewing the city. And this word renew is important because this word renew does not mean destroy. Renew does not mean avoid. Renew does not mean condemned. Renew means to bring life. It means to be healers and servants in our city. Now, the way that we've gone about this as a church is primarily by planting neighborhood churches. Why? First off, 
Planting churches is biblical. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 doesn't call us just to convert people, but to also make them disciples and to teach them all that Jesus has commanded them. You can't teach a believer, a new believer, all that Jesus commanded them in that conversion moment. The only way you can do that is by putting them in a healthy church. And this is also the strategy of the Apostle Paul in reaching the lost and growing believers, that he went into some of the largest cities in each region, like Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, and Rome, and planted churches. In addition, church growth data has shown over and over again that newer churches reach new people better and communities more effectively than older churches because new churches foster more creative ideas for ministry. It creates more opportunities for leaders to rise up and step up, that it encourages more believers to take greater steps of faith and prayer. This is why, as a church, we've planted seven park churches all across the city here. Now, let me just show you a map here that we have Forest Glen, Norwood Park, Lincoln Park, Near North, South Loop, Bridgeport, and Rogers Park. And Rogers Park itself has created a network of other churches and ministries in their neighborhood. We are committed to being a sending church that we want to go where the people are, just like how Jesus came to where we were. That we want to play in the same playgrounds as our neighbors. We want to shop at the same grocery stores. We want to drive over the same potholes that we want to partner with local organizations like Pacific Garden Mission or Breakthrough or Lydia Homes or McGuane Park or like schools like Armour Elementary or Jenner and Taft. And to help facilitate this, we launched a nonprofit as a church called Renew Chicago, where their focus is on economic impact, schools and education, mobilizing churches, not just park, but other churches and organizations to address larger and more systemic issues within our church. And recently, Renew started an adoption fund to help financially support our park members, many of you sitting here in South Loop, with helping to take care of our children here in the city. Our vision for Renew, I'm glad someone's excited about that. Our, our vision for Renew is to see flourishing gospel preaching churches in every neighborhood. Now, we know that we can't do it all. So as a church, we've also partnered with other church planting networks, specifically to Chicago Partnership and the New Thing Network. That we've come alongside these two groups with our finances, resources, training, and people. And the reason for this is because these networks can plant more churches more quickly in a diversity of neighborhoods. And let me just show you a picture here that you notice here that the blue dots are park community churches and the white dots are churches that we've had a chance to help plant through these organizations. But here's the thing. You will never visit any of these churches, many of them on the south and west side of the city, and see on their front door, Park Community Church. You'll never see it. You'll never see our bumper sticker on. No, well, we don't have bumper stickers, but you know what I mean, right? But from a business perspective, this is just dumb. You don't build a brand like this. That if you want to build a brand, you want everyone to know what you're doing. You want to buy all those Facebook ads, right? You, you, want, to, you want to proclaim it from the mountains. But here's the thing. Park Community Church is not here to build a brand. We are not a business. We are the church. That we are the kingdom of God because it's within this church. Jesus reigns as king. So we as a church don't care who gets the credit. All we care about is the gospel going forth. Because the only name that will last for all, all eternity will not be Park Community Church. The only name that will be sung for all eternity is the name Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's the kind of work we're committed to. 
And here's the final application of our vision statement, where the gospel of Jesus Christ impacts the world. Our God is a global God. John chapter 3, some familiar verses here. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus did not just come for America, as much as you might hear on YouTube or Facebook. No, he didn't just come for America or for the West or for the East or for the North or for the South or just for the Jews or just for the elite or educated and accomplished. God's mission is to save the world and to see every tribe, every tongue, every people, every language worshiping Jesus Christ. And who does God call to bring this into reality? He calls the local church to step up. Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That Jesus looks at his church and he commands the church to bring the gospel first where you're at. Wherever you're at, be faithful with the gospel there. That's Jerusalem. But then after that, move further out to Judea. And then after that, move even further out than that, and even more culturally different, to Samaria. And if that isn't enough, then go even further than that, and even more culturally different than that, to the ends of the earth. Our God is a global God, which means that we are a global church, which means that you are a global Christ follower. As Christ followers, there's only one of two things you can be around this. Either you are going or you are helping others to go, there are no third options. At Park, we are committed to seeing the nations reached with the gospel. First, we want to faithfully do that in a local way, by reaching those who are here from around the world, which means international students at IIT, UIC, and all over the place, refugees or persons that are in your neighborhood or coworkers who, who are from another country. We also have a ministry in West Rogers Park that is reaching the nations, that they meet weekly in a Pakistani restaurant, share the gospel on a daily basis with Muslims. And recently, they had a fellowship time. Let me just show it to you here. They had a fellowship time, and standing together in prayer was four followers of Christ. One was an Indian woman raised as a Hindu, two former Muslims, one from Afghanistan and one from Iran, and one of their pastors, Shine, who is Indian. As a church, we get to be a part of this because this is the vision that we all share. We also want to do this by sending many overseas. Now, let me just show you a map of currently of where our global workers are at. That if you see the map here, many of our people are in some of the hardest spiritual soils in the world. These are also some of the most dangerous regions for Christ followers to be in and also the least resourced regions for global missions. As a church, this is where we have committed ourselves to, to go to the hardest places to bring the gospel where it is not. And we have a bold vision around this where we want to see 100 people from our seats being sent. And we call them the Park 100. And what's so exciting is that in this coming year, we're going to have about 8 to 10 folks heading out. And many of these spaces you will recognize because in the last few months, they've come here to South Loop and shared their story with you so that we can come along and support them. So with that, let me just show you a video of some of their stories right now. 
And just so convicting, so encouraged. But man, to not go would be an act of disobedience. Man, that is, that's something. Now, something you guys might have noticed if you're paying attention is that missing the video was number 17 and 18. Do you guys realize just how conveniently those two numbers were skipped? Well, who are they? It's our former lead pastor and his wife, Jackson and Donna Crum, whom God has called them to, to Turkey. Now, if I can just say, in the last two years or so, there's been a lot in the Christian news, you know what I mean, of just lead pastors stepping down because of moral failure, abuse of power, you know, burnout. Did you know that the story that we get to share as a church is that the reason our lead pastor has stepped down is because he and his wife can go across the oceans and share the gospel with the nations. What a great testament and legacy that we have as a church. We exist to be a biblical community where the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms lives, renews the city, and impacts the world. This is who we are and what we believe God is calling us to do. And the question for you is what role are you going to play in this? As a church, we want you to join us, if you're not already, is to become a member of this church. Membership here at Park is linking arms with the church and the vision and mission that God has called us to. And the reason membership is so important is because membership for forces each one of us to decide, am I just going to attend or will I invest? The choice that all of us have here in this room is that for the next 52 Sundays, will I just come and go and stay as a spectator or will you spend the next 52 Sundays going all in with us? Will you step up in responsibility, in service, in leadership, in sacrifice and accountability? And in those announcement flyers that you have, the next, partner, the next membership class is right on there. And I know right away that when you hear these words, it's scary because we love our freedom and not more responsibility. We love comfort, not sacrifice. We love easy. Guess what? I do too. But friends, let me remind you, God has not saved us to keep us safe. He has saved us to be on his mission, to give our lives for his gospel and for the glory of his son's name. You know, about two months ago, uh, I had a health scare. Uh, I was urinating blood. Now, I know that's more than probably what you want to hear, but there you go. Now, this is never, ever a good thing. So I go to the ER, and they run a bunch of tests on me. They're poking me, trying to find out what's wrong. They test for appendicitis, for infection, and every result, preliminary result, comes back negative, and they're getting really nervous. And the reason for this is because blood in the urine could mean it's the first sign of cancer. So right in the ER, they're telling me, Kenson, not, 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 not next week, not next month, tomorrow, you have to see a specialist and figure out what's going on. And for the next two months, I'm in and out of hospitals for exams, for scans, for blood work, for all different kinds of things. And I just want to let you guys know that my health is fine, that most likely my bleeding came from dehydration and overexertion. So they told me to drink water, eat fiber, and rest, which is what you learn in kindergarten, right? So I've paid thousands of dollars for that medical advice. Now, I share this because in those two, two and a half months, as I was working through all this, Many thoughts came through my head, primarily two thoughts. The first thought was this was about my family and how badly I wanted to see my kids grow up and to disciple them into men of God. 
The second thing that I thought a lot about was what was I going to give my life to? That whatever time God was going to give me, how was I going to steward it? And I did not want to waste my life. That I did not want to give it away to trivial and fleeting things. That I wanted to give it to something that would last for all eternity. That I wanted to give it to something. I wanted to have a legacy that I would be proud to give to my family and to my kids and to my church. And God just laid on my heart to give my life again to Jesus Christ and to his mission. And can I just say I'm so grateful for that health scare because God used that to help me to double down on what my life was going to be about. Let me ask you, what are you going to give yourself to? What are these next 52 weeks going to look like for you? I want to invite you, be part of what God is doing here at Park and be part of this gospel mission. We exist to be a diverse biblical community where the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms lives, renews the city, and impacts the world. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this church. We thank you, Father, that we do have this community, that we do have this spiritual family, not just here at South Loop, not just here at Bridgeport, but across all our different locations, that together in one voice we get to sing out the name Jesus Christ to encourage each other, to stir each other on, to hold fast to the gospel. Father, we thank you for that. But Father, we also pray as well too that the gospel is not just proclaimed in these walls, but Father, that you would also help us to proclaim the gospel outside of these walls to our city and to our world. That Father, help us not to live for fleeting things, for trivial things, for small things, but God, help us to live in a way that will require us to live for a big God, to step out in great faith because you are strong. So God, be with us. Help us to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's Jesus Christ. Help us to sing to him. Help us to live for him. Help us to live for his glory. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.